I'd like you to take your Bibles and join me in Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to start today. And as I was finishing up my notes, I realized there's a lot of Scripture that I want to cover this morning. So I may be moving quickly, but I think this is a very important discussion we need to have this morning, uh, especially in the light of what's happening uh, in our own nation and around the world. As Dr. Gilbert accurately said, uh, it was very difficult to do anything uh, yesterday, like on a leisurely level. Uh, you're reading about these things, you're, you're seeing what's happening in Israel. I've been to Israel twice. The area that is affected is the southernmost part. Uh, not a lot of tourists are down there uh, because of this very reason. And when I first heard what was going on about rockets coming from Gaza, this is the, the norm. Uh, this is the norm, but it's not as organized as it was yesterday, uh, two days ago. Um, you're talking about terrorists organized, walking up to people's homes, shooting them at the very entrance of their homes. You're talking about the elderly waiting for transportation at a bus stop, shot dead. You're talking about um, rockets coming at the number of thousands Striking now from Lebanon, there are attacks coming from the eastern part. Um, the Israeli Defense Force was not prepared, and that's not a slight, it's just a mark on the attack, of the nature of these attacks. And the more that I began to look at America's news reporting, it's very clear there's a protection against our president and his lack of action on foreign policy. So I turned to the Times of Israel um, there's a gentleman, his name is Amir. Many of you know who he is. Um, I've been referred by him. I did not have a Telegram account. I made one because that's where he is kind of communicating openly and freely with what's going on. And it, this is not the norm. This is very clearly something uh, traumatic. War has been declared. Netanyahu, a couple of days ago, made an address from Tel Aviv where he said, we are at war but the articles had not been voted on. Well, as far as what I read waking up this morning, there's an article number 40A, which has been voted on, and Israel is now at war. There were, there were four tourists in Alexandria, Egypt, who were shot. Two of them died. Uh, so you're talking about something organized, something intentional, and that is why I wanted the Scripture reading this morning to be from Romans chapter 9, verses one through five, because that is the heart of God. You see that through the Apostle Paul. Many people, commentators, they look at Romans chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2 and they say, that really must not be the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, that he wishes that he was accursed. Uh, I, I think that that is exactly how God feels about his people. They have rejected their Messiah. And when we sing, prayer, uh, when we sing hymns like Sweet Hour of Prayer, when we sing praise Him, praise Him, we're not praising some spirit, some mystical, unknown feeling. We're praising a person whose name is Jesus, who came from the tribe of Israel. He is Israel's Messiah. He is the world's Savior, Israel included. And there is coming a day at the end of the tribulation period when the Lord comes back where He will rule and reign from His rightful place in Jerusalem. But before that, you will see things that happen this weekend. It's chilling. You look at it and you say, this is but a taste of what will happen in the tribulation period. 
You see what's happening with this prince in Saudi Arabia? The things that he's saying, the way that he's saying them, which is against the Islamic belief about the Temple Mount, it's amazing to see it. I've always thought personally, and I don't make this doctrine, but I've always thought, I don't think we have another United States election cycle before the Lord comes back. Now, I could be wrong. Regardless, there is more time that has passed before what is left until the Lord comes back. Amen? We are in the last days. And I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be on vacation. We were going to go and spend some time in North Carolina, but our daughter has some appointments that she can't get sick for, so we're going to wait and get those done, and then we'll leave. But I thought, as I'm getting towards Thursday and Friday, I'm thinking, what, am I going to, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to address? I usually try and prepare my messages at least a month advanced. And I wanted to talk about this because there is a lot of lies out there that are being, they're being called half-lies or half-truths. It's not really a lie because there's a little bit of truth in it. The Bible says very clearly, and you're going to see that as we study this morning, that there is no lie which is of the truth. It's either a lie or it's the truth, period. The devil wants to make you think you can have it both ways. And it's, it's not. It's not that way. And the lack of reporting from our country here on what's going on in Israel should not be a surprise. Should not be a surprise. Well, how, you may say, well, how can I help? How can I, how, how can I possibly get involved? You pray for Israel. You pray for Israel. You can, we can donate. We can send funds. All those things, they're temporary. Pray for God's people and do it often. Stay sensitive to it. And know this, that worse times are coming. It's harrowing to see some of these videos and pictures that are coming out. You're going... People don't know. People don't know. The way that I saw the reporting, it was like this was just an elevated skirmish. That is not the case. The Gaza border was in, in possession of Hamas for like 12 hours. They were recording videos of torturing people and posting it on their military propaganda sites. And they've got all the cell phones, they've got all the, the, the drones and missiles and things. This is organized. Something is happening. But isn't it comforting to know that we have a Savior who will make all things right? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess the truth, which is to say, a lie is a lie. That gives us comfort and peace, folks. And I know it's harrowing. It's terrible. I, I, I can't watch most of it. I subject myself to it to keep myself aware of what's going on prophetically. But you think about Lamentations chapter 3. And the way that Jeremiah described what was going to happen when Israel went into Babylonian captivity, and it's eerily similar to what we're seeing today. Women and children screaming out, men being killed, horrible things happening to those who are held captive. This is the world that we live in. If you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins, do not delay. As Dr. Lindstrom would say, if you want to reject it, that's fine. Just don't stop breathing. Because there's coming a day where we will all have to stand before him and give an account. And that happens in one of two ways. If you're a child of God, you stand before Jesus. You give an account for rewards. If you're a child of the devil, if you have no payment for sin applied to your account, you will stand before God and give an account, and then you will be sentenced to an eternity in hell forever separated from him. One of those truths is applied to every single person on this planet. 
That's why as we move forward, as we study our Bibles, as we interact with people at the grocery store, uh, in our family get-togethers, you need to be prepared to talk about what really matters. I, I didn't watch one lick of football yesterday. Read some things on the internet about scores and saw some highlights, but it was difficult to do much of you know, leisurely things. It's difficult because of what's going on. But I know the things like this happen the closer we are to the Lord's return. And I'm ready to go. I don't even have bags packed because I got all new stuff up there, amen? amen? Nothing to bring with me here. All right. That's good for the opening address here, but we're going to study. There are two major points that I want to look at today about this title. No lie is of the truth. It's from 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But we're going to start with this truth that we see in Scripture. I'm going to show you some Old Testament evidence, and then I'm going to show you the words of Jesus Christ himself. This first point is Satan is the father of all lies. I want you to look in your Bibles here in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 5. You know the scene, creation, seventh day, there's been rest. Adam, um, Eve is created out of Adam. She is uh, to be with him and he is to be with her and everything is going well in the garden. There is one instruction, not to eat from the tree. God says, you shall surely die the day that you eat of it. The instructions are clear. God says, everything else is to your disposal. But you stay away from that. Well, here comes the devil here, already in his fallen state. He says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle, deceptive, than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of, the tree of, of every tree of the garden. I want you to write this down. There are three steps we're going to notice here to which Satan gets a person to sin. The third step is all of the individual, but the first two, he authors it, and the first step is he casts doubt. He simply asks a question that he knows Eve uh, has the answer to. What's the question? Yea, shall not, uh, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Hast God said, there's the doubt. And this happens in our lives more often than we'd like to admit. We constantly are, are threatened, are tempted to cast doubt on what God has clearly said. There's always some interpretation. There's always some loophole that we find to take what God really said and make it what we want him to say. This is not new. This is not something that's come about with social media. It's been this way from the beginning. So that's the first step, cast doubt. Hath God said, verse 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Do you think she understood the instructions? Absolutely. She understood them so well that she emphasized the fact that she shouldn't even touch it. She knew the truth so well that she understood what she was not, or, or what she could partake in. She was able to discern that instruction from God. But notice the second step in verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. This is the second step, and it is to deny God's word. He casts doubt. Hath God said? Then he denies, Ye shall not surely die. 
Did she die physically the moment that she ate? How about Adam? No, they did not die physically, but they are now spiritually separated, which is what the word death means, separation. And then, as as a second part of this second step, he begins to strengthen man's natural desire to sin. Look at what he says in verse 5. End of verse 4. Ye shall not surely die, verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There's the, there's the lure now with the bait on it. Cast the doubt, hath God said? Deny his truth. You're not going to really die. And actually, something better is going to happen. You're going to have wisdom and discernment. You're going to know all these things. You're going to be like God. And he doesn't have to do any more because our nature takes over after that. Look at what it says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you should note that. Pleasant to the eyes, you should note that. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise, you should note that. We'll talk about all three of those in a moment. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She sinned. And gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. They, he sinned as well. I told you to take note of the good for food, delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. Remember that those phrases are there, and go to 1 John chapter 2. A lot of bouncing around today in the Scripture. So I want to make sure that before I read anything, that we're all there, because these things are of utmost importance. Good for food... Delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. This is, we're on page 1322, starting in verse 15. Now for a moment, we're going to leave that story. I'll repeat those lines to you again in a moment. We're going to leave that story and we're going to advance thousands of years into the future to the time where John is now writing to the church. John, very close apostle to Jesus Christ. He saw and heard, handled. That is his whole calling card of the book of John. We have that which is from the beginning. What does he mean by that? Some, some people think, oh, the beginning of the world. No. Some people think, oh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry in, 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 in Matthew 3, or uh, John the Baptist's ministry in, in uh, Matthew 3. No. What is from the beginning that we hang everything on? The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God made flesh, the Word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we have to go back on. As Christians, we cannot depart from the words of Jesus Christ. You do that, you fall into the lie. So he's writing here. He's writing to the church who is now under the grip of Gnosticism, Docetism. We'll talk about all that. These secessionists that were of us, but were never really of us, which is very simple. They never believed on Jesus Christ. They believed things about him, but they did not believe that he paid for their sin, that he was the son of God, that he was the Christ which are all important things. If you're believing on a man, Jesus, just somebody, guess what? You don't have a payment for sin. This is why the presentation of the gospel is so important. We have to make sure that people understand very clearly who we're talking about. There's a deception that's going around that we can make things so simple that you don't even have to speak about certain things about Jesus. That's not true. I can walk up to somebody in the mall and say, Believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. They may have some working knowledge that they would understand, but I'd be best suited to be prepared and have a conversation with them about who I'm talking about. 
And in the early church, there was a huge deception that was going on, and we'll get to that later. But John is writing, he's right in the middle here, he's talking about having an abiding relationship with the Lord. What does it mean to have an abiding relationship? You walk in the light as he is in the light. There's a lot of Christians that are walking in darkness. They have sin, it's unconfessed, they don't care, and they want to call their sin fellowship. And God says, you're a liar. That's not, that's not a good thing. Well, it's not that bad. John just got done saying a couple of verses before, the person who hates his brother and says he walks in the light, he's in darkness even until now. What does that mean? You deceive yourself. If you walked into church today and there's somebody here that you hate, you don't have fellowship with God. It's that clear. These are, this is heavy lifting. This is, the, this is the definition of easy preaching, hard living. This is why Jesus says the world is going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. And how easy is it, is it for us to see a church split over things that are sinful and wicked and has nothing to do with what's happening outside of the church. Most of the time we bring those things in. And shame on us if we don't recognize our condition and say, I need to make a change here. I need to confess my sin, come to an agreement that what I have said is good, God says is sin. And so I am changing my mind about that, and I'm doing that which God says is right. You want to see churches grow? You want to see a revival in America? Christians start living the Christian life. Hello. Hardest thing to do. Why? Because we have a sin nature. We have a side of us that is born of the devil. We saw it back there in Genesis chapter 3. But John makes a statement in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have it both ways. You can't be walking in the light and have love for the world. And I don't mean you love the lost person. That's not the love that's talked about there. You have a desire to be in the world, to do worldly things. That person cannot also walk with the Lord. Doesn't mean they're not saved, but the abiding fellowship is not there. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, oh, this is a good note. What's all, if we were to categorize every single thing in the world, what would it be? These three categories. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, we just departed a moment ago thousands of years in the past now we've got adam and eve in this moment hey hath god said ye shall not surely die you'll actually be wise and we have right in verse four before verse five in genesis chapter three eve said the or it was said of eve about these three things good for food that's the lust of the flesh the desire for material things hedonism pleasure delight to the eyes Lust of the eyes, you see something you want, you go get it. Whether it's material or immaterial, and the desire to make one wise, that's the pride of life. Now, you may say, is it a sinful thing to seek to be wise? It is a sinful thing if the wisdom you're seeking is from the world. Note young, young Solomon. He's about to inherit his father's kingdom. The Lord comes to him in a vision, and he says, what do you want? I'll make it happen. Solomon could have wished for what? Long life. He could have prayed for the life of his enemies. He could have prayed for wealth, respect from the nations around him. But as a wise young man, which was rare in his time and it's rare in our time, 
He said, Lord, I am as a child. I don't know whether to go in or to go out. I need help and discernment. Help me discern that which is good from that which is evil. And it pleased the Lord, his desire for wisdom to honor God, that not only did Solomon become the wisest man of his time, he also got the life of his enemies. He also got wealth and respect. He got that and so much more. That should tell us something. The wisdom that we should seek is not from the world, but the wisdom from God. And how does one attain the wisdom from God? Knowing the word. But you see those three things right there. Good for food, lust of the flesh. Delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. Desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. And look at verse 17. And the world passeth away. That tree, that fruit, that garden, that serpent, all going. There's nothing that we're taking from this life save the new nature, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. But how, how often people are absolutely choked out by the things of this world. And, if the, wor- and the world passes away, and the lust thereof, even the desire of the world will be gone. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And if you're a Bible student, you know John 6. 39 through 40 says, the will is to believe on him who sent me. You believe on Jesus Christ, you've done the will of the Father, you are born again, you are a child of God, and there is no doubt that one day you will be in heaven. And it's of no will of your own. You believe, you receive, God guarantees your eternal life. You're not working for it, you're not working to prove it, you simply take the promise that is available. That's good, amen? That sounds like something I can do. I think you can do it too. The Bible says it's very easy. But what does the world do? Make it complicated. Now I want you to hold your spot here in in, uh, 1 John 2. And I want you to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. So I said earlier, I'd give you a New Testament example and an Old Testament example. The Old Testament example here It's a good one. It's because Jesus is saying it. The tone of the time right here is uh, Jesus is, he's causing problems. I was watching something yesterday, and I don't know how many of you see these commercials. Um, He gets us, says something about, you know, comparing Jesus to the social injustice in the world today. Don't buy that, okay? I'm glad that Jesus' name is on the screen. That's That's one thing. I mean, I'll be honest. When I first saw that ad, I was like, wow, that got permission to air? (laughs) Because they don't want his name being said. Oh, you can give glory to God. That's fine. But don't say Jesus. That's offensive. Well, guess whose name I'm going to say? Jesus. Because if it causes offense to you, you don't understand him. You got a sin problem if it causes offense. But I remember yesterday they were talking about, you know, uh, they were comparing gangs, inner city gangs, to the work of Jesus. Saying, oh, well, he was misunderstood. You know, everybody thought Jesus was a ruffian and difficult. You read your Bible, that's something that, that is, that's propaganda. It's a lie to make you think, oh, well, that's, you know, gangs aren't that bad. They're just misunderstood. Okay. Well, there you go. You know, I don't, I can't help you if, if that's the line of thinking that is coming out. But I can tell you this, Jesus was not a ruffian. He was not some hooligan. 
He was speaking the truth against religious leaders who were promoting and believing a lie. He stood for the truth. Tell me the gangs out there that are doing that. Uh, none. Correct. And you get double jeopardy for that. It's crazy what people say Jesus did. But he's right in the middle of one of the, the very hottest debates that he will have with the leaders. And he's, 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 what's he, he's in the final turn here, okay? He's about to say some things that are going to cause them to understand so deeply what he meant that this is going to be the first time that they try to stone him. But it says here in John chapter 8 and verse 39, page 1127, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. Abraham did not try to kill those who spoke for God or were sent by him. 41, you do the deeds of your father. Now look at the slight they're going to say about Jesus. They're going to talk about the fact that a common interpretation of the virgin birth was that Mary and Joseph committed fornication before. They, 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 they slept with one another, which brought about Jesus before they were married, which we know that's not true. Uh, uh, Joseph was ready to put Mary away privately to say the the uh, marriage is off, but he was told to trust God. This is very interesting. Look what they say. They get their little grenade out. They say, then they said unto him, we be not born of fornication. Oh. You know, I think about the men that may have said that and then died in unbelief. What a day it will be where they stand before God and give an account for that. We have one father, even God. So now they lift themselves up and say, Ooh, we're born of righteousness you're born of sinfulness and jesus i wonder if he raised his voice not in sin but in power i wonder how he said this but uh, we know what he said take a look jesus said unto them if god were your father you would love me for i proceeded forth and came from god neither came i of myself but he sent me why do you not understand my speech because you cannot hear my word. What does he mean by that? He's asking a hypothetical. Why don't you understand me? And he's saying, oh, it's because you're not of God. That's a strong thing to say to the religious leaders. They have a birthright to be there. You don't just go and, uh, hello, little uh, Jewish boy, what would you like to do? I'd like to be a priest. Oh, no problem. Go this way. You're born into that responsibility. Look 44. Here's my proof text verse. You are of your father, the devil. Yikes. Because there's no doubt they're born of Abraham. There's no doubt here that he's talking to Israelites. But they're of their father, the devil. Uh-oh, continue on. And the lusts of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Well, you say, who did Satan murder? Well, he destroyed Adam and Eve. Cain is described to be enticing Satan at the door, and that led to the slaying of Abel. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode, mark this please, not, he did not remain in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar 
and the father of it. There is no doubt, no question with what Jesus is saying here. Anything that proceeds out of the mouth of Satan, it is a lie. Isn't it interesting that you look at the film industry today, Hollywood, and it is constantly trying to sell you the antihero. It's constantly trying to tell you, well, these villains, they're just misunderstood. One of the most prominent ones comes from DC Comics. It's a villain called the Joker. There have been like three movies made about this guy. And each time there's a discussion about this character, there's something that tries to get the audience to say he's just misunderstood. That's a lie from the devil. He wants you to look at people who believe in a false god and say, well, there's good there. They got some things right, but they don't have everything right. He wants you to look at a false gospel and say, well, at least he's passionate. Passionate in what? Telling a lie? In the courtroom of God, that will not fly. And the devil will have to be there as well. Some people think he's got property there in hell, that he's ruling and reigning from his dominion just like God is ruling and reigning. Ah, uh, no. He's suffering. He's not in control there. He is, it was created for him and the fallen angels. And any soul that goes there, God wills that all would be saved. That's how strong man's will is. He can reject the free gift that God gives. But notice all the things in the media today about antiheroes. Oh, they're just misunderstood. That commercial I told you about? Oh, you know, gangs are equivalent to Jesus. They're just misunderstood. No, they're not. But that's what people believe. They watch that and they go, mm, yeah, that's true. Back to the game. Da, 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 da. And people just, you know, get distracted. They don't realize that little by little, your understanding of what is evil and what is good is being chipped away every single year, it seems like. We get further and further away from the truth. Well, whose fault is that? Satan. It's interesting here. There's no blame on Adam. There's no blame on Eve. It's all squarely placed on the devil. Now look at verse 45. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? He said, tell me how I've sinned. And I say the truth. Why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. You think Jesus understood exactly what was coming against him? Absolutely. You think these Pharisees were going, yeah, I've made a mistake. I need to get right with God. Uh, no. They continued forward. From this point forward, they're seeking to have him killed. He's a threat to the established order. That's the end of my point on Satan as a father of lies, because now you'll be able to properly understand what John says a couple of, you know, Years later, after Jesus says this, he now talks to the church about some specific things that are said about Jesus. So join me there in 1 John chapter 2. This is where we're getting into a lot of Scripture, so bear with me as we move a little quickly here. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to pick it up there in verse 18. Schofield does a really good job of the paragraph headings here. His notes are not that great, but they're not inspired, and you should know that. Any commentary is not inspired. They may be speaking about the inspired Word of God, but they can also get it wrong. But I like Schofield's notes here, uh, excuse me, his paragraph headings, and right above 18, if you have a Schofield Bible, it says, the, child, the children warned against apostates who deny the true deity 
of Christ. Now John says in verse 18, little children. This is a different word than what he uses over in verse 1. The, the Greek word that he uses here actually speaks to those who are under his tutelage, like young children who are in the position of teaching. When he uses the word in verse 1 of chapter 2, he's talking about children who are born into the family, almost an endearing term, a more intimate term. This is a didactic term. Children, listen, as I teach you and warn you about this departure from the truth. Look what it says. Little children, it is the last time. Now, people want to mock here, and they say, oh, we know what 2 Peter 3 says. You've been saying he's been going to return for years, and he hasn't come back. Folks, we're in the last time because there's not much time left. More has transpired than what is yet to come. It is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, you should mark that here. It's the first time in this address that he, he mentions a specific thing. The prophecy that the Antichrist will come onto the scene. He says the Antichrist is going to come. He's not here yet. But he says, even now, there are many Antichrists. Now, this is interesting. From a biblical study perspective, what we see here is there is a spirit, there is an agenda of the Antichrist that people can fall into. It's not the Antichrist. John doesn't mean that there are going to be several little antichrists that are going to be in the tribulation period. There will just be one. But those who teach now heresies against Jesus are the same lies that are going to be said by that one man. Look what he says. Even now there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now John had his own set of heretical secessionists from the church. They departed. They were never of the church. That's what he's going to say here in verse 19. But I want you to understand what the church already knew about the Antichrist when John wrote this. So hold your spot in 1 John and travel to the book of Daniel in chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. We'll look at verses 36 through 39. No doubt, especially the Jewish audience who were now Christians in John's audience, they would know these specific prophecies about this end-time man called the Antichrist. Look at what it says here in verse 36 of Daniel 11. This is on page 918 and 919. And the king shall do according to his will. Mark this. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall make marvelous things excuse me speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall be done neither shall he regard the god of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard of any god for he shall magnify himself above all this is the greatest heresy that is said of the antichrist because there is one who is God. And this person does not elevate himself to the equivalency of God. He goes above it to say, I am God. That's why we will not see the mark of the beast. And when the mark of the beast does come back or uh, come onto the scene, it will be a, a mark of allegiance to a man that he is the one true God. All the religions that are going on right now, they will have zero, no power. He will be the one in power. And people will believe it. And they will worship him. And they will kill for him. 
and anybody that stands in his way will be destroyed until the time be fulfilled. We don't see a leader like that today. But folks, it's my personal belief, he's already here. Don't know who, not my job. My job is to help people see the real God, Jesus Christ. The one who intercedes for man by taking on their sin, paying for it, and rising again from the dead. Shedding his blood, and that blood is applied. Those of you who watched our Bible line interview with Grant, what an excellent statement he made about sins are already paid. The thing that sends you to hell is unbelief. He says he walks around now and he sees people and he's excited to share the gospel because he has good news. Your sin is paid. You can receive it today by faith in Jesus Christ. But if you deny who he is, if you deny facts about him that affect your ability to believe on him, that is, whatever gets you to deny Jesus Christ is the spirit of the Antichrist. Look at what it says in verse 38. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, the military man, and a God of whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. You can let Daniel 11 go and go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're, we're going we're gonna to pick up the pace here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. No doubt they would have known about this second letter written to Thessalonica, in which Paul says this, starting in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. Do you know what this implies? That we can be deceived by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. This very passage that you see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 verifies and gives a mark of genuineness to what you just read in Daniel 11. So that means everything before Daniel 11.36 and everything after Daniel 11.39 is true. Yeah, go read that. That'll really get the coffee going. That'll wake you up and go, ooh, Worse things are coming. Verse 4, Or that is worship, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? He's reminding them of what he's already told them. So they know these things to be true. That's the Antichrist, the singular Antichrist, the actual man. But those who are of the little Antichrist, they teach heresies about Jesus that will push the narrative of the Antichrist being the one true God. Go back to first, uh, excuse me, uh, move to the Gospel of John now. In verses 16, John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Jesus is speaking here. He says something specifically about the Holy Spirit. This is very important to note. I'm not going to go into the details of this, but I'll give you the verse references. The moment you trusted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again three days later, that he is the Son of God, made the payment for your sins, the moment that you did that, from Acts chapter 10 into the, the end of it all, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay? You didn't feel anything. 
There was not any visual evidence that this came to pass, but we have scriptural evidence that Ephesians 1.13 says, the moment that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This Holy Spirit was spoken of by Jesus to his apostles. And there are specific attributes of this Holy Spirit that I want you to pay attention to. Look in verse 13 of chapter 16 in the Gospel of John. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, has the Holy Spirit arrived? Yes. He will guide you into all truth. Please mark that. I pray this every time that I pray, that I would be led, that I would be submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as he guides me into, pay attention, all truth. Every single truth that is available, I can understand it. Because I have the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean I know it all right now, but I have the ability to know it all right now. The more that I yield my flesh and walk in my spirit, the more truth I will understand. Same for you. But pastor, I don't have a Bible college degree. Does it matter? I don't know how to teach a Sunday school class. Does it matter? I don't have good public speaking skills. May I introduce you to the Apostle Paul? What, how, how will I have any value? Because it's not about you and me, it's about the Holy Spirit. This is why when people come in, they're like, Holy Spirit, fall down upon us. All right, chapter and verse. How do you get the Holy Spirit to fall down upon you? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, 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 no. We got to have 10 guitar riffs. We got to have the real ethereal music. We got to have, you know, we, we want to be culturally relevant here. Get rid of the lights and turn them off. And now darkness, smoke. Oh, yes, Holy Spirit, come down. Did anything happen? No. How about you? I don't feel anything. Try harder. You know? And you know, you look at it in light of truth and you say, what a joke. And then you realize that there are people that don't know that what they're hearing is a lie. And that's compassion. You now want to reach those people. And shame on the teachers who teach that and they have access to the word. But look what it says. Guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. What's he going to talk about, Jesus? 14, he shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So you have that same spirit. Same spirit is within you. Now look in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby ye know it is the last time. They went out from us. Who are they? These are those heretical secessionists. Specifically in John's time, it was the Jewish legalists that taught salvation came by the maintaining of the law. Specifically, there was a highlight on circumcision. It was the Gnostics that believed that all material things were bad, and since Jesus had a material body, he could not be the Son of God. There were the Docetists that believed that Jesus was merely a phantom, and since he did not possess a material body, he could not die from material man. And then there were those of a certain group that said that Jesus was not God, but the Christ Spirit de descended on him in his baptism and left him at the crucifixion. 
All three of these things deny the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the sacrifice for the payment of all sin of all the world. That's where they err. And that is what John is saying. He said they went out of us, they were with us in fellowship, but it was not true fellowship, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. You see what happens is as you continue on further teaching the truth, what John says is that from the beginning, you begin to find out there are people who said they understood one thing, but they didn't. Now this is not to say if a person falls away in apostasy or believes a heretical teaching that they were never saved to begin with. But if they deny that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, then they're not saved. That's not the focus of this passage, but it is a note to make. We need to be clear, and we need to communicate effectively when we share the gospel. And our church has done that for you. We spend thousands of dollars a year printing that track. You put that track in your pocket, you have enough information to present to somebody how you can expose the lie and teach the truth and bring a, point, a person to a point of decision. Now that you know, will you believe? But look at 20, which is my main focus here. But we have an, ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Unction here means anointing. It doesn't mean an urge, like something gestational. What it means is you have an anointing, which is the Holy Spirit, and look at what John says. And you know all things. This is an important thing to highlight. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he would come, and he already arrived at this point when John is writing this, they would know all things in pertaining to truth. So John is not, what John is saying is, you don't need special teaching. You don't need some Gnostic teacher to come and tell you something that you don't understand. You've got the Holy Spirit, so you have it all. We need to know this truth and understand it. Because the further we get to the last time when the rapture will happen, the more lies will be said about Jesus. The more lies that will be said about the Bible itself. You don't lack knowledge. The only thing that you lack is awareness of the knowledge that is available to you. I think this is great. This is one of the last, you know, epistles that is written. And it's a good one because the next thing that John's write, John writes is Revelation. It's all prophetic. He's saying, careful, you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything. Look what he says in 21. I have not known, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth. This is so good. John is saying, I'm not writing unto you because you don't have the truth already. Look what he says. But because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. You don't need special revelation. I know pastors that are well-meaning, but they let people stand up in their congregation and give a special word from God as if it is to add to what has already been completed. We don't need that. You don't need it. How easy is it for us to be dissatisfied with what we already have? Oh my goodness. May I introduce you to the iPhone 15 Pro Max Plus? You know? Here we are. Oh, you upgraded last year. You got the 14 Pro. But this is better. It has a button. And a better chip. Oh, I need it. I need it. The camera, the sixth one. It's on the side now. It's the same. We do this in our spiritual life. I'm tired. The Bible says the same thing all the time. Or you look at this ministry and you say, they, all, they only teach the same stuff there. Okay, well, you need to ask yourself a question. Are you merely, merely a hearer of the word and not a doer? 
well, I could do more. Well, how about doing that? But no, we go, we need something different. Or we go Lone Ranger Christian. I don't need anybody. I'll just do it myself. Yeah, how'd that work for the uh, animal that's in the very back of the pack? Who's a lion going after? The one right in the middle? No, the one that's straying off to the side. There are lies that the devil is trying to get you to believe right now. You don't need more truth. You have it all. You need to know what you've already been given. That is important. Now, he says this in verse 22. He's gotten specific with the spirit of Antichrist stuff. And now he gets even more specific about what they're saying. Who is a liar? Okay, so this is like, all right, if you hear this, this person's a liar. But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Why? Because he exalts himself and his teaching above all that is God. If Jesus is not God, then who is? And forget trying to find out who is. That would make Jesus a liar. I, don't even, I, I hate saying that because he's not. But that's what people teach when they deny his sonship. When they deny that he is the Messiah. Look what it says in 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Lots of references we need to look at here. So hold your spot. Go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I think we're doing good on time. I know this is a lot. But I, I'm, I'm willing to, if you want the notes that I have so you can see the specific references and points, if I get the printer working, uh, I can print those off for you. John chapter 11, look at verse 25. Lazarus is dead here. And there's a lot of grieving. People are saying, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Verse 24. Martha saith unto him, Jesus, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection. This is important. He took the focus off of the fact that Lazarus was going to rise again, and he put it on himself as the power and the reason why Lazarus and anybody who believes will rise again at the last day. Because of Jesus. Look at what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen? Oh, I love that. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That's the clearest invitation that is given here in a moment. What does he say to her? Believest thou this? Martha, do you believe this of me? And look what she says. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Skip over to chapter 20. Verses 30 through 31. I'll wait till the leaves stop rustling. Thank you, Mr. Hernandez, for that. He's always letting me know. A little more rustling there when you started reading. <laughs> and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. Isn't that amazing? It's hard for us to figure out what's already written, and there was more that we never saw. <laughs> which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the what? The Christ. The Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through His name. Not that He's a phantom. Not that He has the Christ Spirit. He is the Son of God. Now look in Mark chapter 14. 
What does Jesus have to say about being the Messiah? There's a heresy in the Gospel of Judas. I remember when I was, when I was studying Gnosticism for our class on 1 John, there's a heresy in the Gospel of Judas that Judas was told by Jesus to uh, turn him in so that they could both die as martyrs and get to heaven. What a... Wow. Wow. You'd say, people don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they do. People believe all sorts of weird stuff. People think that we can pray to Mary and she will somehow intercede for us. That, Mary didn't believe that. Sometimes I wonder, you know, she's up there and she hears this stuff starting. She's like, what? what? Don't pray to me. Yeah. All right. Look what it says in verses 61 through 62. Mark chapter 14 Verses 61 through 62, okay? He's brought, Jesus is brought before the high priest and the Sanhedrin here. And they said, but he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, the Son of God? And Jesus said, maybe. No, no. What does he say? I am. Do you know what that means? Yes. And he adds something of more depth because he knows the prophecy that will be fulfilled in Daniel 7. Ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, we don't have time to look in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, but that describes that event where the Ancient of Days, the Father, gives the keys to his Son. And he comes with great power and with great glory. Jesus was not only saying, yes, I'm the Christ, but I fulfill that prophecy too. And look what happened. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, what need we have any further witnesses? Do you know what this is? This is not theatrics. They understood him so well, and it's a demonstration of the depth of their unbelief. Now some would say that God gave them that unbelief. No, he didn't. That's the nature of Satan. What you're seeing there is the devil at work. They are looking at him. They are hearing they are seeing how they bring false witness, false witness after false witness. And they have to find some way to condemn him because they know he's an innocent man. And as soon as they find what they're looking for, they execute the utmost passion upon it. And then he goes to the cross. Well, who did that? Who's responsible for that? They are, and they were deceived by the devil. Because there's no truth in the devil. No truth. Now, specifically... We talked about the Gnostics, the Docetists, and the ones who thought that Jesus had a Christ spirit. But there were Jews also in this body of believers that had not believed on Jesus as the Christ. And we know that was the main problem with the Jewish people because of the first message that was ever given after the Holy Spirit fell down upon the apostles. Look in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse... 29, page 1151, Peter says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. It's still there. Go to Israel and you can see that. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing 
that God hath had sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, the Messiah. They, they are still looking for the Messiah today to sit on his throne. They missed that it's Jesus. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So Peter says what's written in Psalm 1610 was about the Messiah. This Jesus, Jesus, has God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. We saw him. Sounds a lot like what John says, that which we heard from the beginning. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Remember the promise of the Holy Spirit? What Peter is saying here, it's verified by the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to lead and guide him into all truth. Jesus promised that back in John 16. You saw it. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Look at 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, you should be sitting on the edge of your seat, you should be paying attention, because this is quizzable material. What is the point that he says here? That God hath made that same Jesus... Let me be clear, Peter says, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and what? Christ. He is the Son of God. And you slew him. You believed the lie. Look at 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were convicted. Some believe they got saved right there. That's plausible, but what does specifically do they say? And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They recognized the error that they, they, they killed the Son of God. What do we do? How is that forgivable? What does he say? Then Peter said unto them, Turn from your sins. No. Change your mind. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what purpose? The remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What great news exceeds that that the very people who condemned him to death have a payment for sin waiting to be applied. How? How? You believe. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. We're winding it down now. First John chapter 2 verses 22 through 23 to recap. All that we just looked at in the scripture is the, what, what John says here, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Now he says in verse 24, he's, he's come to the conclusion here. He's about to wrap up this portion. He says, let that, what is that? It's explained. Let that therefore remain in you, which you have heard from the beginning. The teachings that you hear from me, John, is what I heard from Jesus. And we just saw how everything that John says we need to believe here. Jesus said it first. The authority is on him. And this is why you and I as, as believers, we need to know our Bibles so that we can discern between what is a lie and what is the truth. And there's a very important word here in 24. It says, abide. We need to let the truth abide in us. That requires us to walk in the truth. You can't expect to walk in darkness without getting hurt. 
You need to walk in the light so you can see what is around you. You stay close to the word, to Jesus. Middle of verse 24. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, if you stay close to this, there's a promise for you. You shall also continue in the Son. Now people will say, you'll you'll continually be getting saved. No, no, you're not going to be a silly Christian that gets caught up in these heresies. You're going to stay with the truth. Ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. You're going to have fellowship, proper fellowship. And look what he says in 25. And this is the promise. That he has promised us. What? You already have eternal life. For those that say 1 John is a litmus test to see if you're saved, he's talking to the saved. What's the warning then? Don't fall away. Don't corrupt the fellowship that you can have with Jesus by believing these lies. You have all the truth. Stay in the truth. As a pastor, I'm passionate about this because I see people come and I see people go. And what remains the same? They didn't abide in the word. That's what remains the same. Jesus didn't change. The scripture didn't change. They departed from the truth. And sadly, most of the people that I've seen go in my Christian service are people that are children of God. But they are great hearers. They are very poor doers. Let that not be said of you and let that not be said of me. And you may say, what do we do? How do we avoid this? You stay close. You've got sin in your life. Get it right and get it out. It will destroy you. Don't think there's a half truth in your sin. It's all a lie. You come to the recognition of that and there is grace that will meet you there. There is forgiveness that will meet you there. We can boldly approach the Lord knowing that we can obtain help in our time of need. He's not a vindictive evil God. He's your dad. He loves you. Cling to him. These things have I written unto you, verse 26, concerning them that seduce you. That's the purpose. There are those who are trying to keep you away from the truth. Look at the comfort in 27. But the anointing which ye have received from him, what's that anointing? Reference verse 20, the Holy Spirit. That abideth in you that stays whether you stay with him or not he stays with you ye need not that any man teach you i had a friend one time that says i'm against all churches because the bible says in first john 2 27 i don't have any need that a man teaches me hello who is it context may i come in no didn't know the context what's the context of this verse just talking about pastors that all pastors are bad no 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 what this is talking about is You don't need extra revelation that is not from the Holy Spirit. You need the teaching from the Holy Spirit. So if you got a pastor that teaches the Word of God, you stick by that person because he's teaching what the Holy Spirit has already clearly said. Now that's nice. That makes sense. We don't have a need for some New Age teacher to come in and teach us different spiritual truths about God. We've got the Holy Spirit already. And you need not that any man teach you But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, the Holy Spirit, he teaches us of all things, and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. You stay close to the teaching of the word, you walk with the Lord, you will abide. You will remain faithful. 
And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I know the judgment seat of Christ is not a whipping stand for sin, because he already took those for me. But there is very good proof here that there will be many of us who stand before our Savior and we will say, I wish I would have done more. Now here you are. You're alive today, I hope. You're here. What are you doing? Are there things in your life that you have allowed to become truth that are a lie? Are you fellowshipping with the Lord? Are you walking close with Him? Do you have bitterness in your heart? Are you concerned about people hearing about heaven and hell? I can't answer those questions, and I don't want to answer them for you. That's between you and God. But please know, assuredly, that if you believe the lie, it will lead to your destruction. If you walk away from the truth, it will lead to your destruction. Not your eternal destruction of your soul, because God is so good, he's already guaranteed that you're delivered. But you waste this precious, limited time that we have here on earth. I don't, as your pastor, as my responsibility to be your under-shepherd, I don't want that for you. And what's happening in the world today is there's so much lies that are being said as truth. It's everywhere. You can close your Bible. I pray this has been an encouragement to you. The purpose of this study is not to yell and scream and holler because I don't have anything else better to do. But I can't help it, folks. When I get passionate about the truth, I want people to know I believe what God says is true. There, there's coming a time in the tribulation where there will be believers who lose their lives for speaking the truth. That time is coming. What we're seeing in Israel right now is, is terrible. But let me tell you very clearly, uh, it'll be on a worldwide scale in the tribulation period. But for those of you that are here today, and I'm going to make an, make an assumption here that all of us understand the gospel, but we still need to understand what it is. A reminder of what gets in the way, what's been paid, because it keeps us close to the, to the Lord. If this hand were to represent you and me, I'm going to let this block of sin <laughs> represent sin. Some of you are seeing this for the first time. Gil made this for me. I love it. It's a great object lesson. We all have this. Doesn't matter how heavy it is, how large it is, how small it is, we all got this. You know how this came about? Satan. And don't forget that. There's a joke. You know, anything bad happens to us, oh, thanks, Adam. No, 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 no. The devil brought that about. The devil brought in cancer and disease and, and, and the second law of thermodynamics. These things... The condition that we're in today, we're here because of the devil. And shame on us if we give in to it, right? That's not that bad. Oh, really? Hell was created for this. We all have sin. God loves us very much, hates our sin because it separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect just like God, and we all fall short. We're not perfect. Why? We have sin. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. Forever. No second chances. There are some that teach that you'll get a second chance. That's not what the Bible says. 
But people teach it. Why? Because the devil wants you to think, has God really said? You're not going to really die. You'll get a second chance. Live it up here. Mm -mm. People think that you can pay for this with good deeds. Whatever good deed you want to list, there are many people who think that's enough. But what's the payment of sin? It's death, not our good works. This hand represents the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because he loved the Father and he loved us, he took this sin, laid it upon himself, and he paid for it all. He was buried and he rose again three days later. And the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does it mean to believe? You put your trust in him. That what he did on the cross as the Son of God paid for your sins, all of them. And when he was buried, you were buried. And when he rose again, you will rise again. You put your trust in Jesus Christ that he paid for all that sin. The moment that you do, all your sin is paid for. But here's what happens with many Christians. They go back to this as if this is all they have. They have a new nature. Born of God cannot sin, but they live in this. They lust after this. The destruction of that believer is guaranteed they remain in this. Not their eternal destruction, but their physical destruction and their loss of rewards. Don't let that be said of you. If you're here today and you haven't put your trust in Christ, I encourage you to do that. But for many of you, I know that you already have. Don't let this rule and reign. You stick close. You have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. Pray and then do what the Word says. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Heads are bowed, nice are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I just understood that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was for me, and I, I, I put my trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for the payment of my sin. Would you pray for me? I know I'm going to heaven. I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, please pray for me? I just trusted Christ. To be expected. I know we've got, we've got children of God here today. There's not much more that I can say that's already been said, but I am praying for you to do right. Would you pray for Israel today? Would you pray for those who are suffering and going through great persecution, knowing that the high chance is that they have not put their trust in Jesus? Would you pray for those in Israel who are saved, that they would give the gospel in these extremely difficult times? You say, Pastor, what can I do? You can pray. That's not the least that you can do, my friends. It's the best that we can do. Because we petition God and he hears our prayers. Father, thank you for the service that we've had today. I pray that we've all been encouraged, motivated to do right. We do lift up your people. We pray for their deliverance. But Lord, we pray that you return soon. In Jesus' name, we pray these.